Oh, we're ready for eight more games to unfold on Thursday and Friday night. Welcome back to the nation's college basketball show and podcast, College Basketball Coast to Coast. I am your humble host, TJ Reeves, and I am anxious for Thursday and Friday night where we will see 16 teams battle on to try to be in Minneapolis this time next week for the 2019 Final Four. And I cannot do this show alone, so I've enlisted some great help, some great guests that are going to pop on and give me some analysis, some insight straight ahead. Ari Russell will be here. I look forward to talking with Ari about the entire Sweet 16, but specifically he will be covering the East Regional that has not only Duke as the one seed in a matchup with Virginia Tech, their fellow ACC team, but also the two seed Michigan State And LSU, out of the SEC with so much turmoil off the court without their coach, Will Wade, can they advance to the Elite Eight or maybe into the Final Four? Ari Russell will be with me here straight ahead on this program. Mark Wise will also uh, be here with me. Look forward to talking uh, with uh, the, the ESPN and SEC Network analyst, also my analyst here for our coverage on college basketball coast-to-coast and tune in. Uh, you also uh, have uh, previously heard me say Mark does a great job on the Florida Gators radio broadcast. He worked the Michigan win over Florida last week, so he's going to have insight about all of these games all eight of these matchups on Thursday and Friday night with obviously a lean towards the SEC teams that he has seen the most so I look forward to talking with him as well also Matt Zimmick will be back here we've got diversity Matt from the the western part of the United States uh, based in Phoenix look forward to hearing from him Matt writes for cbbtoday.com frequent contributor to this podcast as well I'm anxious to hear what he has to say in particular about the Midwest Regional in Kansas City that has North Carolina playing against Auburn and Houston against the two-seed Kentucky. Will we get the Blue Blood Elite Eight game that we suspect Kentucky and North Carolina, or could there be upsets in that Friday night matchup? And also Matt here to talk Free Throw Awareness Month as well. Look, uh, all the faves are here, and so this year is different. I will say a couple of things, though, here at the outset. Uh, guys, gals, the, the, the better teams are supposed to win most of the time, and usually by the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, the cream does rise. The better teams do rise. The higher seeds do rise. They have the advantage. They've earned that advantage uh, throughout their play in the regular season and through their seeding. They allegedly have the better players. They certainly have the better resources financially and otherwise. So it's not that big of a shock that all the ones and all the twos are there and all the threes are there as well. Now, it's only the second time since the field expanded to 64 teams in 1985 that we've gotten all the ones, all the twos, and all the threes. But everybody's acting like that's somehow making this a lesser Sweet 16 slash Elite Eight. Look, what Loyola Chicago did last year, what Wichita State did recently in 2013 as a mid-major, Virginia Commonwealth 2011, Butler going to the championship game 2010 and 2011, George Mason, Ari and I are going to talk about George Mason, the forerunner, the trailblazer, what they did in 2006, that's not supposed to happen frequently. The fact that it has is amazing. It shows that everybody's got players. Everybody can play together. One of the things the mid-majors has, the players stay together for two years, for three years. They're a better team by the time they're juniors and seniors to be able to pull off upsets. And we saw that as a recurring theme uh, really for Loyola Chicago last year, Wichita State. They'd been playing together the same with Virginia Commonwealth. Butler, and even back to George Mason. So the faves are there, and it's always fun. Look, one of my first experiences with a Sweet 16 uh, was was in St. Petersburg, Florida, where I live. They had the South Regional Final prior to the Final Four being in Tampa Bay the following year, 1999. This was the 1998 South Regional, and get a load of this Sweet 16 because it was it was tremendous. It had, oh, by the way, Duke. Kentucky, Syracuse, and UCLA in it. Uh, That is a tremendous regional semifinal and therefore regional final to get to go and attend. And there were 35,000 people uh, jammed inside on the floor area and the seating area of what is now Tropicana Field, the, the baseball stadium where the Tampa Bay Rays play. And it ended up being Duke and Kentucky in the South Regional Final. Tubby Smith's first year taking over for Rick Patino at Kentucky after Patino had taken the Boston Celtics job. So Tubby had left uh, from Georgia to come to Kentucky. 
Uh, Duke with Mike Shashevsky had uh, Steve Wojciechowski, had Elton Brand, had all, all kinds of players on his team. Duke had the huge lead in the regional final to go to the Final Four in 1998, and Kentucky came roaring back to end up winning that regional final game um, and end up going to the Final Four in San Antonio and eventually winning the national championship against Utah. So I was part of that in attendance in that Sweet 16 with the Blue Bloods and and you talk about a raucous environment, Duke and Kentucky fans, Syracuse, and even UCLA had a fan base that came all the way east to St. Petersburg because the Bruins were trying to get back to prominence in 1998. So I go back 21 years ago to a Sweet 16 and have been to some other ones since then. This is a great time to be around all of these. And I know some of it's displaced because in Southern California, they've got Michigan, Texas Tech, and Florida State. They've got a Texas team, a Michigan team, and a Florida State team that they had a year ago in L.A. Gonzaga back as well with them. You would have to think Gonzaga is going to have the bigger fan base because they're in the West. But we'll see. We'll see how well. And Michigan traveled well last year when they won the regional final at, uh, at Staples Center. Let's see what that crowd looks like uh, for those matchups. Uh, that are upcoming. But yeah, whether you're talking about Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky or even Michigan State that's becoming a way of blue blood, even though they, they have green, they're going to have their fan base. And I know Michigan State's going to be in the eastern part of the country, not in the upper Midwest, in Big Ten country. Let's see what Izzo's team will have uh, as well. All right, so there you go. Uh, let's get things underway and get them rolling. Thursday, Friday, preview mode. Uh, here as part of college basketball coast to coast a quick reminder too if you're looking for tickets in the regionals dc louisville kansas city anaheim again the capital one arena in dc the yum center the kfc yum center in louisville the sprint center in kansas city the honda center in anaheim go check out vivid seats and vivid seats mobile app for the best tickets, I know the ticket's through the roof right now in D.C. because of Zion Williamson and Duke being there. You'll get the best prices, great customer service, 100% guarantee on your ticket purchase with Vivid Seats, and we've got a promo code. Take 10% off with the promo code TJBASKETBALL10. Use that promo code as a first-time user. Take 10% off your order, up to 50 bucks off your tickets with Vivid Seats, the Vivid Seats mobile app. So check out all those seats Thursday night, Friday night, no matter when you're hearing us on College Basketball Coast to Coast, with Vivid Seats and the Vivid Seats mobile app. The promo code, again, is TJBasketball10 to save with Vivid Seats. Let's throw the ball up. Let's get ready. Ari Russell with me, Mark Wise later in this podcast, Matt Zimmick as well, previewing the 16 teams that are about to play Thursday and Friday night in the Sweet 16. Here we go. We are rolling along on College Basketball Coast to Coast. Sweet 16 previews for Thursday night and Friday night. I always love the insight of this guy, Ari Russell, based in New York City, but he will be OL on location for us as part of College Basketball Coast to Coast coverage at the East Regional in Washington, D.C. Now, full disclosure, Ari and I first hooked up and started doing broadcasting work, uh, etc. Him executive producing, him co-hosting with me in and around the NCAA tournament back around. what? What's it been now? It's good to have you. What's it been, 2004? Is that 15 years yeah. ago, 16 tournaments yeah. ago? We started messing around yeah. with this. And, yeah. uh, you know, look, there's so many different ways of deja vu. Uh, deja vu that 2006, you were at the East Regional Final in Washington, D.C., and saw George Mason uh, pull a, a tremendous upset So uh, to go to the Final Four. So I want to talk to you about that in a little bit. But Ari does a great job uh, covering the Big East. He was at the Big East Tournament. And uh, he's got some insight, obviously, there and a lot of other places. So first of all, welcome. Are you ready for eight more games over the next two days and whittling the uh, the Sweet 16 over the next four days? The Sweet 16 eventually here out of all of this will be down to four teams. You ready for all this, Coach Ari? Yeah, I'm getting there, man. I'm, I'm figuring out when I'm going down to D.C. I think... Uh... You know, for for this whole ordeal, it should be hopefully before the game. <laughs> you and about fifty thousand other people that are trying to see Zion Williamson on Friday night are trying to figure out how they're going to DC and how they're getting in the arena. Good luck. Exactly, exactly. No, it's a, it's it's a big deal. Uh, excited. I love every time it's in Washington. Um, you know, it's it's a it's it's a great basketball city. I mean, it is one of the best basketball cities you're going to get. It is uh, a, definitely a hotbed. Uh, so this is this is great, and and you're getting four really good programs here. 
especially Duke. You know, you're getting the big ticket in, in Zion Williamson. But, you know, bringing Michigan State and LSU obviously has a great fan base in general, obviously no more for football. Uh, but I think one of the biggest factors here is going to be the home court advantage, I believe, is going to be Virginia Tech. There's a huge alumni uh, base in the Washington, D.C. area. It's gigantic. I mean, Virginia Tech's a rather large school, but I believe its biggest uh, base is in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. So I think from a from a standpoint from the fans, mm. it's going to be a very, very, very biased. You think it's going to be a pro-Virginia Tech more than a pro-Duke crowd because Duke is big in the yeah. East, but you think it's more so compacted in D.C. for Virginia Tech. In this sense. That's interesting. Well, I mean, for who gets their hands on the tickets? There's a couple of reasons for that. Because the D.C. region has, has doesn't have much love for Duke because it's a Maryland it's Maryland territory. Right. So you're going to have a lot of Maryland folks that are probably going to be wearing Virginia Tech colors. <laughs> I'm telling you that. Uh, <laughs> the adopted, are, you know, like the adopted team for this weekend is what you're saying. Exactly. More, more but, than but likely it, it's not going to be too far off. They're going to have a lot of alumni. It's going to be a hard ticket for Virginia Tech fans. And this is huge. This is a great season for Virginia Tech basketball here. They have a chance to go against the best team in the country, you know, with, with their largest alumni base, you know, in the backyard of the largest alumni base right. for, 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 their, for their program. Okay. So, I mean, this is an opportunity that they don't get to see much. But right, I think so that it's going to be pretty partisan Virginia Tech. I don't mean to interrupt. I, don't, I will get more to Friday in a second. I, I still am trying to figure this out a few days later. You were around Villanova, and I understand Villanova lost four players to the NBA. Uh, but mm-hmm. Villanova uh, had pulled some things together at Madison Square Garden. You saw them. Now, I know there were close games and narrow wins over Xavier yeah. and the championship win over Seton Hall. But they got absolutely dump trucked by Purdue in Hartford last Saturday night. What the heck happened? Where a few days later, what happened in that game? Was Purdue just that good? Villanova uh, not good enough? That what do you make of that? Well, I mean, I think Purdue is was had one of the top three or four performances uh, in the tournament thus far. I think it's hard to argue. I think Florida State's victory over Murray State was probably as impressive, but I think Purdue's impressive win over the Big East regular season and tournament champion was probably the most impressive victory thus far, considering just how dominant it was from the beginning. But, I mean, they they shot the lights out in that game. They basically pulled what Villanova had been doing to teams when they had won their two tournaments the last three seasons, when they won the title two out of three the two of the last three years. They basically pulled what Villanova did to their opponents and just – Lights out shooting, domination on the defensive end, turning, making, forcing turnovers, just disrupting the entire game, um, making it very difficult for any type of comeback because they were hitting threes left and right. I mean, it was just unconscious shooting across the board, dominating in the paint, second chance points, very physical defensively. They did everything basically that Villanova had done to their opponents. They fed they, they, they them their own medicine, and it mm. worked. I, I'm not sure they can repeat the performance again, but my goodness, I mean, they looked they looked like one of the most dominant teams, and I think a lot of that had to do with how good the Big Ten, especially at the top, was this year. We we've seen it, we've seen how well the Big Ten has done in this tournament thus far, and uh, I I believe that uh, that played a role, and I believe that the Big East was down this year, as we see. There's no Big East teams left in the Sweet 16, and I think that was just a sign on how the Big East was down as a whole. And uh, and I just think that you know you you shoot that well from the perimeter and you, you dominate on the offensive boards and you really play good defense and Villanova just couldn't hit the side of a barn and mm. it's a perfect storm and again Purdue gave Villanova a taste of their own medicine it was very interesting yeah and now Purdue plays Tennessee on Thursday a team that that struggled to put Colgate away, was losing in the second half in the 2-versus-15 game. A team that was up 25, you know this, and almost lost the game. They did blow the lead. It took it took to overtime, but they they found a way to win. Credit them for that. I, I, you know, I don't know what to make of this game in Louisville on Thursday night before we move on to Friday night of, of Purdue-Tennessee. Do you have a thought? No, I, I don't know either. I, I just think, I mean, athletically, you're dealing with tennis. A- athleticism is probably going to be more on the Tennessee side, especially in the front court. But, uh, and, you know, with Williams and with... Um, Schofield. With, Schofield, yep. Schofield, yes. And uh, the Admiral. And uh, I just I just think that, you know, their their front court is just so... 
Uh, Schofield is probably the best player that's on the court as far as like from a tournament standpoint, considering he he's hit some huge shots down the stretch, huge shots, just giant. I mean, in, in clutch situations. So they're, they're more battle tested coming into this, man, but it's hard not to look at Purdue and be like, you know, just the domination of what they did against, against Villanova, even if they don't have to even play at that level. To, to keep winning games in this tournament. I mean, is this the year that Purdue finally cracks the Final Four? I mean, the way that they've been playing of late, it's, it's hard to say that it's not possible. But Tennessee's a very tough athletic squad. They, they were ranked number one for much of the season, really. And uh, they were able to escape two tough games. I mean, like, for obviously the Colgate game, they, they came through in the end, and, and they blew a lead, and they still were able to hold on against Iowa, even going into overtime. I just think that it was, you know, they're battle tested. And I think that that actually is a good sign for Tennessee because now we've seen them being challenged and they face those challenges and they won two games. Is Purdue going to be able to handle it? If it is close, I wouldn't give the advantage to Tennessee probably. Well, we'll see on that one. That's a Thursday night game. Uh, and then we get into the Friday night games uh, uh, here in, in, a, in a couple of moments. Uh, but I want you to relate that story. I teased it at the beginning about George Mason and that year, Jim Laranega's team. What uh, Tony Skin? Give me, give me some more. I mean, that was a, that was just talking about the D.C. area. Ball talk, yeah, talk, talk about a D.C. success story. I mean, Will they Conner. they were regionally they were the they were the team, right? I mean, they were the the darlings. They pulled the upset early against Michigan State. They beat the three seed North Carolina. They advanced to D.C. to the regional. They beat another upstart team, Wichita State, as the seven seed. And then that UConn team in 2006 had been the number one team in the country for about eight weeks. You remember I was doing Big East basketball, doing USF, University of South Florida in Tampa in the Big East. And I remember the night that we played UConn at home, the game began 18 to nothing in favor of UConn. You kept looking, going, are we even going to score against these guys? They had NBA caliber players and shot blockers for Calhoun's team. And George Mason found a way to beat them. When you reflect on 13 years ago, East Regional, upset by George Mason of, of number one UConn, what do you think about, what do you remember 13 years later? Well, I just remember how UConn just didn't seem to have anybody on that team that had any fire in their chest, really. It just seemed like they thought that they, they're going to just run through this tournament because they did have a dominant year. I believe Rudy Gay was on that team, and mm-hmm. you know um, he was probably their best player. They had a tremendous size advantage. They got in a lot of foul trouble in that game. I just remember how Coach Laranaga coached around it, and basically George Mason was just able to figure out a way around the size. Now, now they had a size advantage from a height, but, but it, just the way that Coach Elf – knows how to coach players in in the post and they were running these 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 mid posts with their big men and then they're, they're they were shooting tremendously from from the from beyond the arc tony skin was really at that point the best player on the court i mean i think he was probably one of the most unheralded players and had one of the better runs you know in recent history in the ncaa tournament of a player that came out of nowhere um, really, I mean, he was. If you don't, if you don't remember guard. him, I'll interject. He was a feisty guard. Uh, he was a two guard, I think, more so than the point guard. But he was excellent defensively. He could go get a key bucket, and and I just I remember his intensity. Like you're talking about, UConn didn't have fire. That's what struck me. That George Mason seemed at times that they wanted it more uh, as the as the game yeah. wore on. Well, I mean, it was it got to a point where you know obviously they made it to the Elite Eight, which was obviously something that 11 seeds don't often make it to. So they got to a point and not only that, but they had a tremendous home court advantage. You have to realize that George Mason is, is really right down the street. I mean, it's, it's part of the Northern Virginia. It's part of the DC, the DC Metro area. I mean, it's one of the schools that they go to. And I remember all the uh, media people criticizing uh, Gary Williams for what, why didn't you get Fowler and Campbell? You know, what, what's up? They had a couple of Baltimore guys. I'm like, mm-hmm. why, why is he, why are these guys going to the final four? Where's Maryland? You know, why didn't, why weren't these guys recruited? And, uh, you know, it was basically, it, it just shows you what Larry Nega was able to do. He really developed these guys, senior laden team, um, and really caught and really caught UConn sleeping. And really, I think UConn really thought that they were just going to win, you know, just because they had the talent. And again, it was, it was, it was as big of a home court advantage as I've ever seen at a neutral site 
in a college basketball game, and I've seen a lot of college basketball, it was as home court advantage as you can get. And it was it was 95% George Mason. The place mm. was louder than it ever had been. At, you know, maybe Capitals games are, are as loud as that. We know that the Wizards slash Bullets haven't really produced much excitement over the last several years. I think that was probably one of the most exciting. It's from a basketball standpoint, the most excited the fans have seen in that arena in a long, long time. And I, that was the loudest I've ever heard it. And, uh, and I think that also played a big role in why George Mason was able to win because they knew as long as they kept it close, the, the crowd is going to be on their, on their side. And boy, was it an amazing, you know, upset to see. Definitely one of the biggest upsets in the history of the NCAA oh, yeah. tournament. I it was, think it's hard it was the hard. number yeah. one uh, overall seed in that instance. Uh, and and again yeah. for UConn, um, it was an overtime game. And I still remember this image. And you may see this image at some point this weekend when you talk about upstart teams. I know the anniversary was earlier this week. I believe the anniversary was Tuesday, the thirteenth anniversary of it. You see the George Mason players going crazy. They come running over where the George Mason section of fans were, and two or three of them are up on the press table, and you were right by where that press table was concerned. Yep. Are these guys going to topple over on top of me? Am I right remembering that? <laughs> if you see the extended video, there's definitely me standing. There's definitely you can see me around that area because I had a great seat. I mean, I was right there. It was wonderful. Uh, you know, and, and I was right there and that's exactly what it was. They almost landed on me and it was just, it was a great thing to see these young guys, especially cause you follow them through the tournament. You get to talk to them. I went to all the practices. I got to know who they were. Well, remember, remember here's another one. Remember they were not an automatic bid out of the colonial, the CAA. They were an at large team and there was criticism about them being put in, put in at large. And these were the days before the first four. There was no first four in Dayton and they were plugged right. in as an 11 seed, not even a 12 seed. And that shocked some people. Nope. But boy, did they make that committee look smart, Ari Russell. Well, I remember at the time when they went in there, all the people, the Hofstra fans and everyone was like, Hofstra should have been in instead. Well, I don't think Hofstra would have made that run. And it's, um, and the rest is history. And that's the funny thing about, you know, when it gets to this point of the season, no one is talking about which team should have or should have not have made the tournament. Because at this point, it doesn't matter. Because you get to the, to the Sweet 16, you've already gone through a couple of games. No one. Ta- it's, it, that's a topic of discussion for the first weekend, and then it goes away. And then by the Sunday after the Sweet 16 is over, no one discusses that. And then maybe when they look back, they talk about a team that had a nice run that was on the bubble that that was some people argue shouldn't have been in, and that's the only time it's brought up because it's. It, I think there was VCU another year they went to the Final Four. That's right. That they should have made it either. So um, they were you know, at but, uh, large the same way, and they did go yeah. to the first four and win a game, and then won they four won more first. as well. Correct. Uh, to go to the yep. final four, but George Mason was the trailblazer, and, we, and you know we've almost yep. we've we've almost grown so accustomed to this because we had it with Loyola Chicago last year, and we were there. You were yep. with me at the Alamo Dome uh, as they advance in our coverage uh, on college basketball coast to coast, and including on Tune In. But I mean, we we've had Butler be there a couple of times, including get to the title game twice in a row in 2011, uh, 2010, and 2011. Uh, we had Wichita State in 2013. I mean, it just yep. it shows you the little guy has a puncher's chance, and George Mason was really the forerunner to that uh, 13 years ago. Again, a few more moments with Ari Russell. It's college basketball coast-to-coast. Let's get back into the games in the preview mode for Friday night. LSU-Michigan State, what intrigues you about that game before we talk about the second one one more time, Duke and Virginia Tech? What about LSU-Michigan State? So, I mean, the thing that intrigues me is just to see how the LSU – kids are responding to the whole you know kind of turmoil that was surrounding the team at the end of the season that you would think would disrupt them, but hasn't they're in the sweet 16 with the chance to advance you know I, I it's it's impressive is this something that has motivated them I mean clearly and they had some tough tries here and they've been able to get through and they looked really good in the last matchup so uh, and they had a great season, so they've got a lot of talent. They've got a lot of athleticism. And honestly, I haven't been that impressed so far in the tournament with Michigan State. Michigan State has shown some some signs of vulnerability per se. I still think they're going to have you know with they still have the best point one of the best point guards in the country, which plays a big role. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be an interesting. I think these are very evenly matched teams physically. 
athletically. It's really going to be a matter of will and, and, and the guard play. The guard play is going to make a difference. So, um, you know, I, I think that's somewhat of an advantage of, at, at Michigan State side, uh, somewhat. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I'm not going to discount that these young kids on LSU who have dealt with this turmoil and now are facing it aren't playing with a huge chip on their shoulder right now. And I think that could play a role as well. But I, that's a toss-up. That game's a huge toss-up to me. And I don't so know. I, I don't I, know how Michigan State handles the size and the length that well. They've played some tough Big Ten teams, but I don't know that they've played somebody that has four, five, six guys as tall, as long, lanky, long arms as LSU to disrupt pass lanes to get the fifty-fifty balls on rebounds. Let's see if that makes a difference well, uh, as well in this game. The one thing that is though. The one thing that Izzo is able to do, even if he doesn't have the size advantage, is that he's always going to have the physicality, um, and his teams are always going to be physical enough. So, you know, sometimes they they put the body on somebody, and uh, you know that that plays a role, in, and it shrinks the bigger guys down because you know a couple of physical you know bangs down low, some of these guys feel well, well maybe I need to back away a little bit, and that's 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 Izzo ball right there. Um, you know, we've, we've seen it over the years throughout his entire coaching career at Michigan State. So, um, you know, but but as far as this one, you're right. Like, I, I think the athleticism side, the size definitely on, you know, LSU's advantage. But the guard play is probably I would I would give the uh, the tip of the hat to uh, to Michigan State. And I really believe in, in close games. That's going to be what's going to be the important part. But I, I'm not going to discount that chip on the shoulder. I think that plays a huge role. Again, I'm going to keep repeating that. I think these LSU kids have a major chip on their shoulder. It's going to be interesting to see how that how that transpires. Well, remember, remember, we're going in the way back 13 years ago, George Mason in the Final Four. You remember who else was there with them in addition to Florida That's and right. UCLA? LSU and Big Baby Davis. Uh, they made Big the run. Baby they Davis, they Thomas. there you go. They yep. knocked JJ Redick out his final college game. They knocked him out of the NCAA tournament. Then I believe they beat Texas in the regional final to go to the Final Four. We'll see. They're going to have to go through Michigan State and and probably, possibly, but probably Duke to get there this time. Uh, we will yep. find out. couple more moments here with Ari Russell. You can follow him at Ari Russell on Twitter. He will be at the East Regional uh, Semifinals on Friday night and Championship, the, the Elite Eight game on Sunday between the winner of LSU, Michigan State, Virginia Tech, and Duke. Another reminder, by the way, we're brought to you by Vivid Seats and the Vivid Seats mobile app. Use that promo code TJBASKETBALL10. Take 10% off your first order at Vivid Seats, up to $50 off that initial order. Go to the Vivid Seats app and look for the tickets. And Ari, the tickets for this, what you're going to, I know we're pre-taping this in advance of Friday night, so we're not even on the day of. We're doing this in advance of Thursday's games. But the get-in price as of now when we're talking is still $300 just to get in in the upper level in the top. The lower level average ticket price right now on Vivid Seats is somewhere around $700 for the best seats for the Sweet 16 games Friday night. Again, it's one ticket for both games. It's right around $1,000 on average for the lower level. That is spelled Z-I-O-N, another four-letter word, Zion and Duke being in this game. So you already laid out you think Virginia Tech will have most of the uh, the fans, or so you believe, in that arena. What does this game come down to, real quick, uh, with Zion back in there, Duke off the great win over talent. UCF? What does it come down to? The talent. I mean, I think Virginia Tech has had a phenomenal season, and Buzz Williams is an unbelievable coach. I mean, this is a physical team, great guard play, great defensive. Team. I mean, any Buzz Williams team is always going to be scrappy on defense, very well coached, uh, fundamentally sound, you know, um, and I, I just, and they've been playing very well in this, in this tournament kind of under the radar. Uh, but I just don't think you have the guns uh, to, to beat Duke. It's just too much. I mean, Barrett, Reddish and Zion, of course, you know, they, it's just too much. And I also believe that how UCF was able to really keep it close, I think I think that woke up Duke. I think they're going to be playing also with the chip on their shoulder at this point. They're not going to be looking to, 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 to keep this game close at all, at all. I, I mean, I, Virginia Tech has a chance because they're in the game. They're there. They're going to have probably the home court advantage. I'd be extremely surprised if that's not the case. Uh, but they're probably going to have the home court advantage there. 
I just, uh, I just, I, I mean, you, at this point, I just don't think they have the, the firepower, the guns. I, I, if there's any challenge that Duke is really going to face, in my opinion, it's going to be themselves. And then until they make it to the final four, when they start playing the, the, the team. One, their own the time. one thing I will throw out there that has been a constant theme, we've said this time and again, they're not a great, consistent three-point shooting team overall. And they're not a very good foul shooting team. And we saw that at the nope. end of the UCF game with the missed free throws by Delorier and then Zion Williamson missing the crucial one. Yes, they got the offensive rebound, uh, but that's kind of fluky. It, you you got to count on making the free throws, and they have only been average throughout the year. If it is close with Virginia Tech, keep that in mind about the foul shooting or even in the regional final, that, that could come back uh, to haunt Duke. All right, so one more time uh, here on this, LSU, Michigan State, Virginia Tech, and Duke – uh, it, it is a it is a blast to be in that arena as you have done numerous times now and seen a team punch their ticket for the final four, cut the nets down, and know in this case they're headed to Minneapolis. And somebody at the end of this on Sunday night will know that, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, my guess it's going to be Duke. You know, I mean, I'm, that's not exactly jumping out on you know a major <laughs> ledge here, but. Uh, well, I think most of America and their brackets agree with you because I think probably uh, out of uh, out of a hundred brackets, a hundred and seventy three of them have Duke at least in the final four. So I think most of America would agree and would like to have Duke there. But this is why you line it up. I mean, again, you witnessed George Mason beating the number one team in the country uh, thirteen years ago in the regional final to go to the final four. Anything can truly happen in the in the forty minutes, or maybe even a little longer in an overtime in a game. That's that's why we line it up and play and and see what happens. Exactly, that's exactly it. And you know, I'm just hoping we have some exciting games. And usually, the Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight is you really get some some great games. And that's you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what what Virginia Tech fans show up and how they they handle that and. Obviously, that LSU-Michigan State game looks like it has a great potential to be a close one. Um, you know, and uh, you know, first time I'm actually going to see Zion Williamson in person, so that, I'm excited for that for my own personal reasons. So, um, you know, and it should be great. I'm, I'm excited to go back home to D.C., my born and raised. There you go. I am, uh, I'm anxious to see what happens and what unfolds with all of this. Ari Russell, enjoy it. We look forward to talking to you later in the weekend here. Uh, in the preview mode uh, for these upcoming matchups in the Elite Eight. We will be whittled down to eight teams on the uh, on the weekend and then down to four come Sunday night. Anxious to see it all. Thank you, Ari, for reminiscing about George Mason, etc. We look forward to you covering what's going to happen at the East Regional in Washington, D.C., LSU, Michigan State, Virginia Tech, Duke. Thank you, sir. Thanks, DJ, as always. A reminder that college basketball coast-to-coast being brought to you in part by Vivid Seats and the Vivid Seats mobile app. Tickets available on Vivid Seats now for that East Regional in D.C., for the South Regional in Louisville, the Midwest Regional at the Sprint Center in Kansas City, and the West Regional out in Anaheim at the Honda Center. Go check out the selection and the great customer service, the 100% satisfaction guarantee. Your tickets are guaranteed with Vivid Seats and use the promo code TJBasketball10. TJBasketball10 saves you 10% off your initial order with Vivid Seats as part of this promotion. 10% off up to $50 on your first purchase through Vivid Seats and the Vivid Seats mobile app. So download the app. Go see the games. They are proud sponsors with us. Vivid Seats and the Vivid Seats mobile app. The promo code TJBasketball10 to save. Go get those tickets here with Vivid Seats. The Mighty One is back, well-rested, well-tanned. Am I to understand that you've been at the beach for a day at least this week, getting some sunshine before we get back inside in front of the TVs for the next, uh, what, four days? Let's just say that I am catching up on sleep right now. (laughs) We all need it. Go play a round of golf, go to the beach, get some sleep, and then get properly hydrated, fueled, caffeinated, and get ready for 
eight more games Thursday night and Friday night. Okay, so on the Thursday night slate in Anaheim, Gonzaga, Florida State up first, followed by Texas Tech, Michigan. And then in the South Regional, Purdue and Tennessee are up first, followed by Virginia, the one seed, against the lowest-seeded team remaining, Oregon as the 12th seed. So in the preview mode, Mark Wise, where do you want to begin? You can pick one of those games. What what stands out for the four games Thursday night? Well, let's start with the Virginia game because I, I really felt like maybe more than any other team in the first weekend, Virginia had the most pressure on them for obvious reasons. So I'm curious to see uh, whether whether or not they kind of it that has freed them up, surviving, getting to the second weekend. Uh, whether Virginia can now be Virginia, it's uh, you know it's interesting that they're getting one of the hottest teams around in Oregon, who reinvented themselves late in the year, and what they're getting uh, inside and outside. The combination of Pritchett and Wooden is certainly going to challenge Virginia. But I have a feeling here we're going to see a Virginia team that's going to play loose and free, and and don't be surprised if this game is not necessarily close. And it may be ugly defensively, et cetera. The first game up on that floor in Louisville is Tennessee and Purdue. And you've seen Tennessee two or three times at least in person. Uh, they escaped, I think that's the right word, blowing a 25-point lead and yet still winning in overtime. Purdue very impressive in demolishing Villanova when last we saw them. Uh, a thought here on what this comes down to or what you're looking for out of that matchup? Well, I think, again, Tennessee's another team that I thought played really uptight last week, especially with that big lead down the stretch. Um, I, I, I just don't think Purdue is used to seeing the quickness of the guards that Tennessee's going to bring. I know uh, a big question in the game, what, what will Tennessee do to try and corral Carson Edwards? Uh, he was so good last weekend in getting – uh, Purdue to the Sweet 16. I love the matchup. I, I think it's a great matchup, but I think I think Tennessee moves on here. All right. So again, that is the Midwest Regional. Out of out of the West Regional, I, I keep joking about this. It is deja vu. It is deja vu. It is redundant. It is redundant uh, because it's Florida State Gonzaga with Gonzaga as the one seed. It is Michigan again as the two seed playing a Texas team, not Texas A and M this time. Texas Tech. And oh by the way, it's in Greater Los Angeles. It's not in the same arena, the Staples Center, but it's in Anaheim at the Honda Center. Um, all right. A, a, anything stand out here from the Thursday night in the preview mode of those? Well, let me start with the Gonzaga game. You know, most times um, Gonzaga's length, their front court overwhelms a lot of people. And now that they have Killian Tilly back and part of the mix, and he played well last weekend, it looks like he's going to be more and more effective. I I just think they can overwhelm people and and just kind of wow people with that size, strength, and length. That does not apply to Florida State. Of all teams that are left in this Sweet 16, the team that is probably best equipped to handle that length and strength that I talk about, whether you're talking about Tilly or Clark, uh, Hachimura inside, uh, I think it's FSU. What what Kevin Gelly brings to the table. Now, FSU has trouble scoring at times, and that will be key. They cannot go through a six- or seven-minute drought against a team like Gonzaga. But I think Florida State is willing to run with the Zags, and I, I think this will be a higher-scoring game than people think. Um, I think uh, if, if you were asking me, I had to pick somebody, I would pick Gonzaga, but I think this is going to be super close. Would not surprise me at all if we see Florida State knock them off again with that link. And maybe we're a little biased because we're in Florida. We see them a bunch. They're in the ACC. We're in the Eastern time zone. Everybody that's been watching Gonzaga is going, what are these jokers talking about? Gonzaga's outstanding. They weren't really challenged in their first two tournament games. That's why we line up and play on Thursday night. That's the voice of Mark Wise. Follow him at MW Hoops on Twitter. Great follow for college basketball. Mark has been so good with me as an analyst on SiriusXM, Fox Sports Radio, now on TuneIn, and this podcast, College Basketball Coast to Coast. Um, and I want to lean on you because you're a former assistant at Purdue on a Final Four staff that went to the 1980 Final Four. You've been around the Florida Gators basketball program for 20 years doing radio with the great Mick Hubert. 
You've been around for Sweet 16 games on the inside, watching coaches prepare, etc. Just give me a general comment. How do you approach this now that you won your first two games, you've done your prep this week, and now you get ready to play in the next round for a Sweet 16 game because there's 16 coaching staffs that are going through it. What do you remember? What are you trying to emphasize as a staff? What have you seen being emphasized to get, get guys back locked in that here we go again with another weekend of games? Interesting that you should ask that question, TJ, because I've always thought there is more pressure in the first weekend and at the Final Four than there is in the Sweet 16. Why do I say that? Because it's certain it has a certain routine to it. Playing in the Sweet 16 after the first week, weekend sort of follows the same rhythm. You're playing every other day. You've had a week to prepare and so on and so forth. Without the craziness and the absolute mayhem that is the Final Four, I think games in the tip in the Sweet 16 are typically played at a much higher level because of that. I think players are more relaxed. I think you're going to see more shots made this weekend than either the first weekend or the Final Four, and because of that, I think the play is just outstanding. Love it. And again, this man would know he was on the call with with Mick Hubert again as the Gators went back to back in 06 and 07. I, I remember you've told me stories in the in the past that Billy Donovan and his staffs, and he had veteran players, certainly, certainly when they were going for the repeat, when they were going for the back-to-back, he had all the players back. But their preparation in the days leading up to the Sweet 16 or the days leading up to the Final Four was as critical as anything they did Yes, you've got to go out and play and make shots and execute, but the preparation was just amazing to watch, right? Elaborate on that. Well, again, everybody at this level can play. Everybody at this level can coach. So what separates you? I think it's the little things. Uh, whether you're talking about special situations, you know, it only takes two or three possessions to change a game. It only takes two or three extra shots per game whether you're talking about offensive rebounding or forcing turnovers. So it's almost um, as, as important about playing well as it is making mistakes. So from that standpoint, you've got to do both I mean, or, or else you just don't survive. A lot of people are saying this is as strong of a Sweet 16 field as, that we have had in a long time, and I agree. It's, it's also, I think, from top to bottom, one of the strongest fields all 68 combined. I think it's one of the strongest fields we have ever had as an NCAA tournament. Well, it's a great point. And on, on another show, I was talking with Gary Parrish, who you know well, CBS Sports Network, does a great yep. job as an analyst, CBSSports.com. And he said, consider this. It's not just the 12 teams, the ones, the twos, and the threes, but consider that Auburn is a five and they won the SEC tournament. And that Oregon right. is a 12, but they won the Pac-12 tournament. He said, this is a really stocked, loaded Sweet 16 and will be Elite Eight. And, and so I think it's a a great point you and he are both making a lot of talent and it may come down to some x's and o's and some adjustments and some things uh that that uh you know teams employ i like one thing i'm gonna hit on one more thing and then we'll get into the game specifically for friday and then i'll let you go you hit on duke showing that 2-2-1 press late in the game against ucf right. that, that was a new wrinkle right coach from coach k we don't see it all the time that's the kind of things that you look to spring on a team that you've been working on for two or three days in, in this round now right uh, no question, because uh, it just takes a couple of possessions. And I like it from the fact that if you haven't done a whole lot of it, um, typically teams won't be as prepared for it. So I, I think it works both ways. Speaking of Duke, I think maybe UCF showed a little bit of a blueprint in terms of who not to guard. And from that standpoint, I'll be anxious to, to see if maybe Virginia Tech employs some of that all right and so we'll i'll walk you right into what we have on friday night lsu michigan state up first in washington dc followed by duke and virginia you touched on duke and virginia just then what does lsu uh need to have happen to have the chance to knock off the two seed michigan state both talented teams lsu the regular season champion in the sec i don't think anybody would say it would be a surprise if they beat michigan state it's going to be a good if not great game give me a thought give me a thought or what it might come down to on the first one up I think it's all about the point guard play. I think you've got two elite 
point guards in the game in terms of Cassius Winston and Tremont Waters. If one of those guys can win that battle, the combination of scoring and assisting, whichever guy can produce more for his team, I think will probably uh, the difference because both front courts are marvelous and typically isn't that how we have always talked about Tom Izzo's teams? So it's almost like Michigan State is looking at itself in the mirror, but what LSU brings in terms of Nas Reed and, and Bigby Williams and Emmett Williams off the bench and Darius Days off the bench. So uh, they're going to be a handful for Michigan State, no question about it. Another moment or two with Mark Wise. He's got to depart shortly here. We're getting ready for the Sweet 16 in four different places. D.C., Louisville, Kansas City, Anaheim, Friday night, Thursday night, Friday night, depending on when you're hearing us, you may already know the Thursday results. We're talking Friday games at the moment with Mark Wise uh, here. Interesting that Ari Russell said to us he's been in that arena a bunch. He knows the Virginia Tech alumni in and around the D.C. area. He's from uh, D.C., born and raised. He said, hey, don't don't just think this is going to be a pro-Duke crowd in the arena because of Zion. There will be a lot of Virginia Tech right. fans. He would be shocked if there's not a lot of Virginia Tech fans. And if they start making shots and making plays, there will be some anti-Duke from the other fan bases, too, that might no turn question. them in the game. We'll, we'll see if that's the case. Real quick. But I think, yeah, go ahead. TJ, I think, I think Duke benefits by playing somebody familiar in the fact yeah. that they lost to them and the fact that they lost to them without Zion. Yep. I, th- I think all of that lines up well for Mike Krzyzewski. Payback for them. All right, real quick, in Kansas City, you've seen the Auburn team. They smoked Kansas. Right. They now play North Carolina. That's the first one. You saw Kentucky as well this year, including recently at the SEC tournament in the knockdown dragout loss to Tennessee in the semifinal. Kentucky's the late game in Kansas City against Houston. Uh, a few words on both of those before before we run along. Well, let's start with the late game, the Kentucky-Houston game. Obviously, all eyes are going to be on the foot of P.J. Washington and whether or not he plays, and that is a huge deal in this game. Kentucky still has other links that they can utilize because Houston is not an overly big team. But you're talking about the biggest mismatch for Houston in terms of guarding, in terms of keeping P.J. Washington off the block. So if he cannot go, or if he's not effective, I think that will really impact Kentucky and their ability to score. The question to me comes down to this. Can Kentucky guard the arc like they did against Wofford, but playing a team that has a much better ability to beat you off the bounce? And especially when Jerome comes in off the bench, he gives Houston another dimension uh, that is really difficult to guard. And, and then you're trying to chase Armani Brooks on the perimeter or Corey Davis Jr. on the perimeter. So they're a more complete offensive team, I, I think, than Wofford was. And Auburn and North Carolina, it may be a track meet. We're expecting it. A lot of points, yeah, a lot of I scoring. Think, again, I think in terms of that game, North Carolina is better equipped to play Auburn because that's the way they play. Remember I talked about Kansas was going to get shocked by how fast Auburn plays and how quick they shoot the threes. That, that kind of up-tempo, that is North Carolina. Uh, so I think uh, 12 is the magic number. I think Auburn's going to have to make 12 or more threes. They shoot 30 a game. They're going to have to make 12 or more threes to offset what I think they will lose points in the paint. All right. Now we go in the preview mode. Eight more games Thursday and Friday. When we talk with you again, Mighty One, we will know the Elite Eight. We will be down to eight teams after starting with 68. Let's find out what happens. I know you're anxious to get Thursday night here in the West and the South uh, Regionals and then the East and the Midwest playing on Friday night as we're in the preview mode on college basketball coast-to-coast. Mark Wise, thank you. I appreciate the insight, the analysis. Let's get after it. TJ, the heavyweight division begins now. Continue along, Sweet 16. We'll whittle down to the Elite Eight, and I always love the insight, the humor, the free throw awareness month uh, angle of Matt Zimmick, cbbtoday.com. He has written a ton. He and Joe Nardone and the staff at cbbtoday.com about this Sweet 16 in the preview mode, what they think, uh, etc. Good to have you back here on the podcast, and we're, we are getting ready. We've got eight more 
games on Thursday and Friday, four more Saturday and Sunday, and then we will know the final four. Are you properly rested up as we head to Thursday and Friday night? You know, these, these last three days, you know, you know, there's obviously a lot of Sweet 16 writing to do, TJ, but uh, to be able to get seven hours of normal sleep uh, is absolutely necessary. Especially continuous. I know what you mean by normal. Continuous, trying to get it all. Uh, and we should make mention Matt is in the West, so the time zone displace, uh, displacement's a little bit different uh, with trying to watch all these games because they're coming earlier. Uh, but your body clock also stays up later when the games are coming back on the next day in the afternoon. You have fun trying to, uh, to gauge and, and do all of that. Okay, so uh, let's begin. I know you want to touch on Thursday and Friday. Let's touch on Thursday a little bit and the West Regional. You wrote some about that on CBBToday.com earlier this week. We know Gonzaga is the one seed. This is Yogi Berra. This is the Yogi Berra bracket here because it's deja vu all over again virtually. Gonzaga, Florida State, just like last year with Gonzaga as the one seed. Michigan, again, is the two seed playing a Texas team. In this case, Texas Tech, not Texas A&M last year. What, what are your thoughts as we see these games in Anaheim uh, unfolding? What do you think, Matt? So the, the main feature about the West, as I see it, is that this is the one region where all four teams have a relatively equal chance of going to the Final Four. I don't think you can make the same claim about the other three regions, certainly not in the South with Oregon as kind of the outlier. In the Midwest, Auburn probably doesn't exist on the same plane as North Carolina or also a Kentucky team, which swept Auburn twice home and away in the regular season series. And then you wouldn't put LSU and Virginia Tech on the same plane as Duke and Michigan State in the East. But in the West, those are two even-steven matchups. You look at the fact that Florida State big boy to Gonzaga last year. Obviously, Gonzaga is several notches better this year than it was last year. But Florida State still has the physical components to bother Gonzaga's front court and make that a 50-50 game. And then Texas Tech, Michigan, boy, that shapes up like a 56-55 rock fight. <laughs> deep, two of the elite defenses in the country. Uh, every basket is going to be like its own set of crown jewels. Uh, so th- th- that, that West Regional, I see four teams on the same plane. You can put any combination before me. None would surprise me, and, and no Final Four representative would surprise me either. If you said Florida State, Texas Tech with Texas Tech winning, sure. If you you know just pull pull one of those four names out of the hat, right. none will surprise me because those, those that shapes up as a three game weekend. You know, two on Thursday, one on Saturday. The, the three really close games. I, I would not be surprised at all if we got that. You did say one thing that piques me to ask a follow up. You said Gonzaga better this year. They've got Achimura. They've got. Uh, Perkins, they've got a couple of other players. What what leads you to believe they're better equipped, maybe, to be at the Final Four when this when the uh, smoke settles here from the West Regional? So Gonzaga has Brandon Clark playing at 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 the very highest level. You know, he went off against Baylor, and he is an elite shot blocker. But you know, he was able to score relentlessly in the low post. And Baylor is not a shrinking violet team. I mean, Baylor was a, you know, a nine seed, but Baylor went through several injuries and roster dislocations during the season, and Scott Drew did a really good job with that team. Uh, Baylor doesn't make life easy for opponents. I mean, you might beat Baylor, but if you do, you're going to feel the effort and the strain needed to, to beat the Bears, and Brandon Clark made playing against Baylor look very easy. So that that is really the big weapon Gonzaga has that it, that it lacked last year. And then just beyond that, TJ, the fact that Gonzaga lost to Florida State in the Sweet 16, you know that the Zags are you know focused on this game, and I, I would expect a very sharp performance from them. I don't think it's going to be easy for them because Florida State has so much size and strength in the low post. So I mean, it's not going to be a cakewalk for Clark, but he is a he is a supremely resourceful player who is locked in at the moment, uh, I think he will be able to deliver enough to carry Gonzaga past the Knolls. That is the voice of Matt Zimmick. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Zimmick, Z-E-M-E-K. Great 
insight on our college basketball coast-to-coast podcast really all year, but especially here in March as we've locked in. We're going to talk Free Throw Awareness Month with Matt in a little bit. Uh, right now, we're still preview mode for Thursday night, Friday night in the Sweet 16. Uh, and you you said to me off the air, Midwest, Midwest, Midwest. You want to talk some about the Midwest. I know Ari and I spent a lot of time on Friday night in the East Regional in Washington, D.C., Midwest Regional, Kansas City, Sprint Center, Auburn, North Carolina up first, followed by Houston and Kentucky Fire Away Commander. Well, the thing that immediately jumps out at the Midwest Regional, uh, which, by the way, I wrote about at cbbtoday.com, comparing it to a uh, 1986 regional uh, in the NCAA tournament. You can read more about that. Uh, The thing that jumps out about this Midwest Regional, look at the two games. This is just an amazing contrast in terms of two games at the same regional. In the first game, Auburn, North Carolina, this is going to be the Indianapolis 500 of Sweet 16 games. You know, two teams that are totally in their element when they're playing racehorse basketball. So, you know, we're not, I don't think we're going to get the score from the 1990 West Regional Final in Oakland between UNLV and Loyola Marymount. I don't think we'll have that many points. But, uh, you know, we, we, could, we can certainly at least hope for a game played in the 90s. Uh, and so that, that's going to be one style of game. And then you have in Houston and Kentucky a completely different kind of game. This game is going to be for all the rugby fans out there because every rebound is just <laughs> going to be a, a massive international conflict. You're going to have a lot of long, muscular bodies going for 50-50 balls uh, the the best offense in this game might be you know throwing something off uh, you know throwing up a, a long three point miss and just having your big guy out muscle the other team's big guy to clean up the the, the and get the putback off the miss you know th- it's going to be an incredibly physical down and dirty slugfest so just to have a racehorse game for the opener and then a rugby scrum for the second game it's just a delightful contrast in terms of ways to build a college basketball roster, ways to get to the Elite Eight, ways to compete for the Final Four. So that's just a fascinating contrast between the opener and the nightcap in Kansas City. No doubt. And Kentucky, obviously a blue blood. So too is North Carolina to both be at that regional. And Kentucky, again, at the time that Matt and I are taping this, we don't know for sure how much and how effective P.J. Washington can play, how effective he will be if he does play. We believe he's going to try to play. Reed Travis, obviously being back healthy in the NCAA tournament, has helped Kentucky. And Houston is good. Uh, Houston obviously blew away a Georgia State team that I thought would give them problems. But this ain't Georgia State. This is it. And you know this, Matt. I'm not preaching to you. Uh, This is a huge step up in competition. Uh, Let's see. Let's see how they handle it on the big stage. There's rumors swirling around that Kelvin Sampson may be leaping to the SEC himself to take the Arkansas job. Or maybe in the mix to leave. Is that a distraction for his team? The Cougars haven't been in the Sweet 16 since Phi Slamma Jamma in the early 80s. And you're a contemporary of mine. You remember those teams with Elijah Wan and Drexler. It's been a while for the Cougars. So it will be fascinating on, uh, on Friday night to watch that unfold. And it also segues into Free Throw Awareness Month and the hashtag FT Awareness Month. It is still that month. A few days left in Free Throw Awareness Month. And we got to pay particular attention to the teams that are shooting it well at the foul line. Um, Houston may be a bit of a question mark in that regional. Kentucky is actually better at the foul line than, than you might think. Uh, and I've got some of the other data in here, but free throw shooting becomes even more magnified. Sweet 16, Elite 8, and heading to the Final Four. Right, sir? Absolutely. And, and you know, we, so we don't know exactly what we're going to see from P.J. Washington if we're even going to see him in the Sweet 16, but it's worth reminding everyone that last year in the Sweet 16, Kentucky lost to Kansas State primarily because of foul shooting and primarily because P.J. Washington missed a ton of foul shots. But, you know, the thing that – let's assume that P.J. Washington plays. And, I mean, it's not not a safe assumption. Right. But let's assume that he does play, just for the sake of argument, to outline this. The thing that – P.J. Washington has improved on the most, according to John Calipari, this season, his conditioning. And that is often a reason why big men don't hit free throws very well. You know, they're exhausted. They're huffing and puffing. When you get to the foul line, you're not focused. Your technique breaks down. 
you know, part of uh, a well-conditioned athlete is that even when you're tired, or even when you've you know, put forth an enormous amount of effort, the technique stays on your shot. The technique stays in anything you do. So I would expect if, if we have P.J. Washington shooting clutch free throws, he's going to make them this time. Uh, and then on the other side of that uh, game with Houston, Houston's left a lot of points at the foul line, especially in the AAC tournament, uh, was shooting you know close to 50% mm. on a high volume of free throws. So Houston cannot do... Uh, cannot pull off like a 16 of 29 uh, effort from the foul line and expect it to hold up against Kentucky. Good point on that. Kentucky, by the way, through the latest stats, the NCAA overall stats, um, right now at 54th in foul shooting. So not not horrendous. I, I thought you you would find this to be interesting. I have it in front of me. Uh, Tennessee in the Sweet 16 is the highest ranked foul shooting team, 76%, 16th. Gonzaga right behind them at 17th, Virginia Tech at 18th, Michigan State at 22nd, LSU at 28th. So you've got several teams alive in the Sweet 16 that are in the top 30 shooting at least 75% or better. But here's the list. I have it right here. Here's the list of the teams that you better watch out for, and it starts with the Duke Blue Devils in that East Regional in Washington, D.C. They are the worst foul shooting team of the 16 left. 244, Matt Zimmick, in the free throw shooting. And let's stop right there. They very nearly cost themselves a bunch of different ways, including at the foul line at the end of the UCF game, right? Absolutely. And and some so some people call March not free throw awareness month, but box out awareness month. And that's what <laughs> UCF forgot to tend to. And that's what bailed out Duke for missing all those foul shots. Yeah. And the other, you know, the other thing is that, you know, people debated the uh Zion Williamson tackle fall uh, block charge call late in the game. It's worth remembering Zion missed the foul shot. So yes, it's not as though the foul really had a defining lasting impact on that game. And, uh, and to keep in mind uh, here too, it's not just Duke. Auburn 155 in foul shooting. Not horrible, but not great either. And they have a lot of good shooters from the three-point uh, area. Bryce Brown leading them. Just keep that in mind if it's close. Auburn and North Carolina. Oregon also 127 in free throw shooting. It may or may not come to free throws being critical for the Ducks in the matchup with Virginia in the in the 12 versus 1 matchup. But Oregon is outside of the 125 as well. And we're going to be keeping track of this, correct? Matt Zimmick with uh, the hashtag FT Awareness Month and on Twitter at FT Awareness uh, on the social media as these games unfold, four of them Thursday night, four of them Friday night in the weekend games, you're always on the alert for who's in free throw crisis mode, right? Absolutely. And uh, in, in that Houston-Kentucky game, I mean, if, if, if Kentucky has like a, a slim lead late, Tyler Hero is a free throw awareness month hero. He's one of the Americans who is saving families and uh, reducing blood pressure levels throughout the Commonwealth. So we need we need to keep that in mind as well. A yeah. fine young man. TJ. Yes, we've been we've been documenting that Hero has been so good. The pun uh, intended and unintended at the foul line, but uh, get, you know, give Kentucky credit because Calipari teams. Look, you're I, I've joked with you all throughout the season and on these interviews and even off the air. You don't have to tell a Memphis guy after Calipari's Memphis teams <laughs> were traditionally bricking free throws, and the same with Kentucky teams that his team struggle at the foul line, but. You look, you look back at, uh, at a week ago, Reed Travis in the, in the Wofford game, a close game, four for four. Tyler Hero, four for four. Uh, Hagen's four for five. Baker, three for three. They were good at the foul line. They were 17 of 20. It helped them pull that game out. Let's see if it comes down to foul shooting for Calipari's team again here against Houston in the Sweet 16. Anything else that we leave out here that you want to mention one more time before we throw the ball up? at four sites in Anaheim, Kansas City, Louisville, and Washington, D.C., sir? Uh, well, just that, you know, in the, in the Midwest Regional, just to tease a little bit more what I wrote at, at CBB today, you know, you, with, with Houston being a factor again, it, it feels a little bit more like the early 1980s. You, you, it would be something if Houston and Virginia met at the Final Four because the last time either one of those schools made the Final Four, they played each other. That was the first national semifinal 
at the 1984 Final Four in Seattle's Kingdom. So that there, there's a certain flavor in that part of, of the NCAA that tournament was, bracket. Am I correct, Akeem, off the top of my head, and Ralph Sampson, or was Ralph Sampson gone to the NBA at that point? Was that Akeem and Ralph? He was not there. Virginia was a seven seed in that year's NCAA tournament. Virginia was the team that took advantage of the fact that Indiana and a guy named Dan Dockich uh, flustered Michael Jordan yep. in North Carolina yep. in that 1984 uh, East semifinal in Atlanta's Omni. So Virginia beat fourth-seeded Indiana in a seven-versus-four East final and then made its way to Seattle without Ralph Sampson. So that, that was uh, the most improbable Final Four season uh, in, in Virginia history. It is amazing that for all the success Virginia has had, they have not sniffed the Final Four since then, and Houston again was there, what, three times in four years with Elijah Wan and Drexler, and they haven't been there in 35 years, so it's going to take some more work. Virginia probably more likely to have a shot at being there. But Houston has a puncher's chance against Kentucky, and we should remind everybody one more time, we thought Kentucky had the red carpet rolled out for them in Atlanta last year because it had, what, Kansas State and Loyola Chicago as the teams that were potentially in their way, and they didn't even get to the Elite Eight, much less the Final Four. They were beaten and knocked out. So it's not a given. It's not a given for Big Blue Nation. Matt Zimmick, one more time. And, and, it, and it didn't happen for Kentucky because – Friends apparently in the bluegrass state did allow friends to miss front ends. So Kentucky, Kentucky needs to correct itself at the foul line. It looks like that will happen, but you can't guarantee anything in free throw awareness month. Hashtag FT awareness month. Matt will be reading you cbbtoday.com. Check him out social media as well at Matt Zimmick, tweeting away about the college hoops and the hashtag FT awareness month. Here we go. We'll strap in, we'll buckle up, and we get ready for eight more games Thursday and Friday and whittle down to the Elite Eight in the Final Four. Matt Zimmick, thank you. Thank you. And there you go. That will do it for this edition of College Basketball Coast to Coast. We get ready for 16 games coming Thursday and Friday night. Again, the West Regional. Uh, will feature up first Gonzaga and Florida State, and that is followed by Texas Tech and Michigan on Thursday evening. Depending on when you're listening to the show, you may already know the results of Thursday. Also on Thursday, Purdue and Tennessee. Can the Vols uh, get it done again and get to the regional final? We will see under Rick Barnes. Virginia is the top seed in that Louisville-Kentucky South Regional playing against Oregon, the Upstarts. They were in the Final Four a couple of years ago. They're a 12 seed now. Can Virginia make the Elite Eight? As Matt Zimmick was saying, they've not been in the Final Four since 1984. They can get on the doorstep here with a win. Let's find out what will happen. Then on Friday night, again, it's LSU and Michigan State, East Regional Washington, D.C., followed by Virginia and Duke. As you're hearing us here in the preview mode as well for Friday, there's been a lot uh, of talk and conversation about what's that matchup going to be. Will Duke make it through? Will it be LSU? Will it be Michigan State? Do not be surprised if it's a Duke-LSU showdown. I'm just saying here. And I like North Carolina and Kentucky out of the Kansas City Regional. I know those are the favorites, but I think Auburn uh, will run into a buzzsaw with North Carolina, and I don't think Houston has enough for Kentucky's front line. I'll take the two Blue Bloods in the Sunday Regional Final in Kansas City. Look forward to seeing all of it. That'll do it for this show. My thanks again to Ari Russell. He'll cover the East Regional uh, for us. We look forward to his insight. He'll be there live on scene. We thank Mark Wise for being here. Love his work with the SEC Network, ESPN, and also our coverage on College Basketball Coast uh, Coast to Coast and tune in. Mark will be back, obviously, on the weekend as we get into the preview mode as well. And Matt Zimmick, read him at cbbtoday.com. Love Matt's insight on the NCAA tournament. So, uh, again, he had some great insight on the West Regional and the Midwest Regional. Read him at cbbtoday.com. We thank him for helping us preview this Sweet 16. And we thank you for being with us. Whether you found us through Spreaker.com, whether you found us uh, through cbbtoday.com, subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We're anxious to see uh, more of you subscribe, and the podcast will come directly to you. Subscribe again to the wherever you find your podcast, to College Basketball Coast to Coast. I promise that we'll be back in the preview mode for the Elite Eight. We'll be back to recap everything on Monday when we know the Final Four. For now, enjoy the games Thursday and Friday night. I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us on College Basketball Coast to Coast.